So we're going to open our Bibles this morning to Ephesians 2. And I want you to uh, turn with me to verse 11. And if you don't have your Bible, you can follow along on the screen. But we're going to be in Ephesians 2, verse 11 this morning. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at the time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create one new humanity and out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to those who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's been a banner year for hostility. Could we all agree upon that? I mean, uh, we love right now our dividing walls and our hopelessness is at a high. You know, I thought maybe it was just us, you know, United States. But then I was reading some research by the Pew Research Center, and they surveyed people across 17 countries across the globe. And 60% of those respondents said that national divisions have worsened significantly in the last 18 months. So the bad news is that it's not just us. It's a global issue. And I maybe think that's why my eyes kept getting drawn in this passage, drawn to the adjectives, words like separate, estranged, excluded, hopeless, distant from God, distant from others. Now, my eye did not want to get drawn to these places. Let me be clear. But I think it's because in so many conversations I've had over the last several months, I hear these themes repeated over and over 
and over again. I hear about relationships strained by disagreements. I hear about deep sense of loneliness and a sense of being on the outside of things. I hear about people feeling misunderstood and judged and unsure where they fit. And the crazy part is I hear that across the board. I don't just hear it from one generation or another. I don't just hear it from people who watch this news program or that news program. I don't even just hear it from people outside the church. I hear it from us. And maybe, maybe I'm not the only one, but I thought it might be helpful to begin by narrating, I think we're all feeling these things. I won't ask you to raise your hand, but by the grin I see on your faces, it's true. Ronald Reagan famously said, the person who agrees with you 80% of the time is a friend and an ally, not a 20% traitor. Here's the trouble. We've taken that and we've actually stepped it up a notch. We've said in our culture, I believe this day, if you and I agree on 80%, you are 100% my enemy. And there is something tragic about that. I think all of this leaves us feeling unsure and unsteady and angry and lonely and looking for some place to get our bearings some place that will help us feel solid and steady. Or maybe it's just me, but I suspect that it's not. Now what's interesting is that Paul actually casts a vision for something entirely different. Entirely different. Did you hear it as I read? He talks about belonging, deep belonging to a people and a God where you experience home and family, a group of people that you are connected to through God and through, uh, who, through each other. And he talks even about that being a place where God himself dwells in the midst of those relationships. He talks about experiencing peace with God and with each other. He talks about a vision of reconciliation that replaces hostility and where distance is replaced with intimacy. And all of this is won by Jesus, who is the image of God, who declares war on separation. Did you notice that? It's very active, the language of Ephesians 2. Jesus comes to destroy that uh, wall of hostility. He puts to death the enmity and the separation. And I don't know about you, but I found myself thinking, really? Really? Because that is so far from my experience. I'm way more used to name-calling and alienation. And let's be honest, it is way more natural for us right now to build walls. Even for those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus. Don't believe me? Spend about 20 minutes on Facebook. 
or Twitter or watching the news, right? The natural impulse, our natural impulse, when left to our own devices right now, is to distance and to judge and to pull away and to in, in, sort of, in some ways embed the hostility or to do something Pollyanna-ish, right? To pretend there are no differences, to pretend there are no conflicts, and I will just do this or this. That's my current mode of operating sometimes. But that's not the picture. I wonder, then, how is it possible? I don't know about you, but I have a hard time living in the gap. When I know something should be this way and my actual experience is here, then my question is, how? Now, this passage declares the how over and over and over again. It's in Christ. In Christ. Look at I want you to hear it again because it's so many times. It starts in verse 13. But now in Christ, you who were once far away have been brought near. For he himself, Jesus, is our peace who made the two groups into one. And in his flesh, the law with its commands and regulations was set apart or uh, was set aside. His purpose was to create in himself one new human. And for through him, we have access to the Father by the Spirit. And by the way, we're not done yet. Two more. In him, in Jesus, the whole body is being joined together and rises to become a holy temple. And in him, you too are being built together. Do you hear it? It's only in Jesus. It is not your effort. It is not your riches. It is not your power. It is not your politics. It is not your goodness. It is all Jesus, only Jesus. It's life and death and resurrection makes possible that ability to tear down walls, to pursue reconciliation. It turns strangers into family. And it says to all who respond, you belong. You belong. No matter what your past, no matter how badly you've screwed up, no matter how little or how much you have, you belong. And we belong to each other. And so... Again, I had to ask, if that's really true, why? Why are we so divided? Why are brokenness and arrogance and division our day-to-day reality? How do we live into that vision of what Jesus has done for us? Did you notice that? All past tense. What Jesus has done. How do we live into that instead of letting ourselves be defined by what the world says about us? And I think the key is found in verse 11. It's the only command in the whole first two chapters of Ephesians. You know what it is? Remember. 
remember, Paul says. Remember who you were before God's love found you. Remember that you are beloved and you have been reconciled and you are a child of God. Remember that the people sitting next to you were too and are as well. Remember that in Jesus there is no longer us and them. It's just us like it or not. Comparison and judgment are now off the table. Instead, we're called to remember that we have been extravagantly and selflessly loved. And before you start to think that that's just a kumbaya fest, that kind of love is costly and difficult. Can I get an amen in the house? Right? Because here's the thing. I would much rather, I would much rather God pours out grace to me and then I judge everybody else. I would much rather God pours out extravagant love for me and forgives me and I hold grudges. I would much rather that God pursues me and I move away from other people. I would much rather Can I just tell you that? And yet Jesus comes and looks at me and says, Beloved, I pursued you from before the beginning of time. I think you can walk across the street or pick up a phone. I was struck this week that when we experience and are reminded of that kind of love, then then that powers extravagant love on our part. I was inspired this week by a member of our congregation. His name's Freddie. You've watched his video perhaps a couple weeks ago. He's originally from the Democratic Republic of the Congo. He came as an immigrant and was, uh, has resettled here, married, has two beautiful young children. And yet his home, the people he loves, are in an increasingly accelerating war again. And so Freddie said, there is no peace if we all don't have peace. And so he got on a plane and went back. He went towards the conflict instead of running away from it. He went and put his own life in jeopardy so that others could know that there's hope. And Wednesday morning, I got this email. How amazing is that? From Freddie. Pastor, please pray. This war has been going on since Monday until today. Everybody's in the bush. Kids are everywhere because it's too bad to be out in the open. But I believe God can change that. Ready. For he himself is our peace. But here's the thing. We can't muscle our way into that kind of love. 
we have to remember first how much we have been loved. Which is why I gather weekly, whether it's online or in person, because I need you to sing me back into hope. I need you to remind me that I am God's beloved child, even as I work to remind you. I need to be reminded afresh and again the words of our baptismal promises. See, this morning, we got to celebrate the sacrament of baptism, right? And here's the beautiful thing about that sacrament. It's not just for the ones being baptized. It's so that we all remember. We all remember. And so I want you to remember the words of that baptismal covenant that Sarah read this morning. Only I want you to put your name in them again today. For you, Jesus Christ came into the world. For you, he died. And for you, he conquered death. All this he did for you, little one. Though you knew nothing of it yet, we love because God first loved us. Let's pray. God, I pray that even in this moment, we would listen to the sound of the water. And we would imagine, again, it washing over us. Your grace that comes, the love that we were immersed with in the beginning of time. And God, this day, if we find ourselves far away from you, if we find ourselves without peace, I pray that all it would take would be for us to turn and repent and walk back. God, I thank you that you are even now standing arms open wide. I pray that you would remind us that our deepest, truest identity is in you. It is not in what we do. It is not in where we live. It is not in anything other than who you say we are. Your beloved children, so loved by God, whom you will never let down and never let go. And I pray that that love would compel us out into the world to be agents of peace and reconciliation. And all God's people said, Amen.